You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. All God's people said. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And uh, children begin to make their way. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. We're in a series I've called uh, Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus. We looked last week, we're looking again this week, at a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And uh, you might call this part two, Climbing Ladders and Climbing Trees. And we're looking again at Zacchaeus. His name means pure or uh, righteous, the righteousness of God, or purity, but Zacchaeus was, was hardly, hardly that at all. Let me, let me put a little bit of the background before we read. Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead. So his notoriety, uh, somewhat of a celebrity status, is already very, very much a part of that that geographical region there. So Jesus is a figure that everybody is excited about. Now, people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at certain festivals. So Jesus is in somewhat of a group of people that are making their pilgrimage toward Jerusalem. They're coming through Jericho, next through Bethany, and then they're going to go into Jerusalem. So there's a lot of excitement around this figure, this Nazarene, this Galilean, by the name of Jesus, more particularly because he's raised his friend Lazarus from the dead who had been dead for four days. So there's a lot of excitement around him. Now what would happen when people would make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem? A lot of times their families in the city of Jericho would come out and would line the roadway and they would be excited to welcome their family. Margin, be like your kids coming and you getting excited, getting everything ready and you go out to meet them. So there are a lot of people that are going out lining the road that Jesus is on, not only because of the celebrity status of Jesus, but because they're seeing family and friends they are all making their way now to Jerusalem. So this is a really, really big, big moment. Now, Zacchaeus has heard all the excitement. He's a tax collector. He's chief of the tax collectors. He is a powerful, influential individual. He is a mover and shaker, but he is hated by all the Jews. They hate him. A prostitute had more integrity in the eye of a Jew than a tax collector. He had bid and bought the position of tax collector. The Roman government told him this, you collect this amount from us and all the rest of it is yours. He not only was good at it, He was so good that he now had other tax collectors working under him. Jericho was the destin of the Roman Empire in that area. It was the city of Palms. 
everybody of any power, money, influence lived in Jericho. In other words, Zacchaeus was sitting on a gold mine. But he's hated. And so in Luke chapter 19, beginning, Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, Luke, this master historian, now unfolds this picture. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Hey, everybody look this way. I believe that's exactly the way he said it. Here this powerful, influential man of position, extremely wealthy, has hidden himself up in a sycamore tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He did not want to be seen. That was why he was hidden in the tree. And I believe it looked just like this. I believe that Jesus came to that spot and he looked up and he laughed and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once. He welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything... A slight laughter went through the room. I will pay back four times the amount. That's Levitical law. Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. And we pray that you bless this time. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Use me as a tool in your hand. And Lord, everything is for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, you can be seated. You know, in the way of review, let me go back and review just a couple of things. First of all, last week we said, first of all, that Zacchaeus, we looked at his circumstances. You remember, the Bible said that he was small in stature. I was reading something, I was listening to something that MacArthur said, and I get tickled at MacArthur. MacArthur's a Calvinist, he's of the Reformed theology, um, but, I, but sometimes I get amazed at how he's trying so hard to make that theology fit with the context of this story in the life of Christ. But MacArthur brings this out in his commentary. He said that men of that day were probably not much more than five feet. So the reality is for Zacchaeus to be smaller in stature than a Jewish man of that day, he would have had to have been about four foot, 
five or six. Tracy, he would have had to look up to you. I mean, you know, Zacchaeus, well, the Bible said he was a short man, short of stature. That's why he ran and climbed up in the sycamore tree, because he had to get somewhere where he could see Jesus, because had he not done that, for anybody who's short, you understand, it's being at a parade, and you're doing Have you ever done that? You ever been doing that? You know how tough that is, how hard that is? You're straining, and I don't know about you, but I always get behind the six-foot-five guy, and I'm trying to look around. And so he, he, the Bible said his circumstances, he's small of stature. He's a ladder climber. He's not only a tree climber, he's a ladder climber. This is a powerful, influential individual that has made a lot of money, but he's made it on the back of people. He's a wealthy individual, but he's done it in a dishonest way, and he's in the city of Jericho. And Jericho, as I said a moment ago, is the destiny of that day. He is in a place of affluence and wealth, and he is making, he's sitting on a gold mine, making a lot of money. And we went on to talk about his condition. Though he was wealthy, though he was rich, though he was a man of position, he was miserable. He wasn't happy. And we went on to talk about what, you know, we talked about last week what lottery winners, what happens to lottery winners. You know, people who all of a sudden find themselves with a great deal of money and they discover that it doesn't help their situation. It doesn't buy, you know, money doesn't buy friends, real friends. And so Zacchaeus is a lonely, miserable, wealthy man who has forfeited all relationships in order to make a dollar. Do you know people like that? Do you know people like that? Do you know people that have forfeited all relationships? Their husband, their wife, their children, their grandchildren. They forfeited friendships for the sake of a dollar. They're out to make a mint. They want to make money. That was Zacchaeus. And that's where we are today. You know, I was reading this, uh, looking at a book, and, it, uh, uh, and I don't know, Yusef. Karsh, I believe is his name, he wrote a book called The Faces of Greatness, in which in the book he has the picture of 90 famous people, people such as Picasso. He made this observation. He said, among the 90 famous faces of greatness, he said 35 had moles or warts. 13 had noticeable freckles and liver spots. 20 had previous or obvious traces of acne or pimples when they were young. Two had highly visible scars. Listen to his conclusion. His conclusion, however, was that the blemishes did not deter these people. He writes of the 90 who had obvious imperfections. He said, what might have embarrassed some of us added to their character and made them great. Wow. You know, I wrote this down. When I read that last sentence, I thought of Zacchaeus, whose size perhaps may have influenced his decision to become a tax collector, and more so to be the chief of the tax collectors in a highly lucrative city such as Jericho. Perhaps the ridicule, the joking about his height, perhaps all of that made him rise above his limitations, but more so made him the kind of man that wanted to get even with the Jewish people. 
He wanted to balance the book. In Luke 18, 9, he gives you a glimpse of just how bad the Jew hated the tax collector. You ever notice people that want to get their education, they want to get a good job, they want to get rich, they want to get wealthy so that they can take it out on the people that put them, that hurt them. They want to prove themselves. And maybe that was Zacchaeus. But last week we left off with this question, why do people think with money, why do you think people with money are so unhappy? You ever think about that? They don't, they don't seem to be happy. I want you to, I want you to take your Bible because I want you to see this. Luke chapter, seven, Luke chapter 12. Look at Luke chapter 12 beginning at verse 13. Because Luke tells us the story of a rich man. You know, why do people with money, and I, you know, we said this last week, you come through Pearl, you look up on that billboard, and right now there's over half a trillion dollars in a lottery. And you are like Sheila and I, when you come through there, you kind of fantasize, your imagination gets, takes over, and if you're not watching it, you'll get a speeding ticket through there. And you can try that at least one time. I'm sorry, but you people in Pearl need to remove that because every time I see half a trillion dollar lottery, I think, what would it be like to win that? And you think about, all of us think about what we would do with it, the people's lives that we would affect, how we would bless other people. We would do this, we would do that. Everybody listen. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you're not doing it right now with the resources that you have available to you, you probably wouldn't do it if you have had a, half a trillion dollars. I mean, that's just the truth. But why do you think, why do, why do people with money seem to be so unhappy? Let me give you a reason. It's never enough. You remember, it's never enough. Look at, look at Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Look at this. Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his what? He'll never get enough. He never has enough. And then Jesus, he waxes into a parable, into a story. And he told them this parable, parabaleo. He puts a truth, a spiritual truth, in a story. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for who? For himself, but is not rich toward God. You see, one of the reasons money doesn't bring you happiness is because it's never enough. You never get enough. 
You think to yourself, you know, if I could just pay this debt off, get rid of this debt, get this behind me, if I could get the kids out of school, if I could get the kids out of diapers, right? For anybody that ever bought Pampers, didn't you think that way? If we could just get them out of diapers, you realize how much money we could save if we didn't have to buy those throwaway diapers? If we just get them out of school, we just get them out of college, if we can just get the car paid for, if we can just get our home paid for, if we could get just right here, and man, we've got it made, we'll be happy. No, you're not. You're never going to be happy, and it's never going to be enough. If your contentment is not what Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in there with to be content. If you don't know contentment in Jesus Christ, you will never have enough money stored away. Some of you are saving for a rainy day that will never come. And I promise you this, and I've been there over 40 years of doing it. What you have skimped and saved, Junior, will spend on one Yukon. Uh, you, it's never enough. This is what Jesus was saying. This was the problem with Zacchaeus. Have you ever watched the hoarding show, these, the TV show about hoarding? Isn't it horrible? These people are literally addicted. They, they just consume. They're saving everything. Rappers, they, they save everything. This container, they think, I'll use it one day. And, and, and they literally, their homes are filthy and they have these little corridors by which they work their th- way through. And that's their home and that's how they live. Why? Because they are consumed with hanging on to everything that comes comes their way it's never enough i wrote a principle down here the things of this world will never satisfy they will never be enough ledge i thought about you i was listening to a documentary and i think i told ledge about it but it was on the it was on this southeastern conference on the sec and how the SEC became such a powerhouse in collegiate football. And they were interviewing Urban Myers. Urban Myers coached. He's one of the most, he's a Hall of Famer coach. He led the, uh, he led the University of Florida. He led them to a national championship. He led Ohio State to a national championship. He was the coach of Tim Tebow, uh, a, a very, very unique individual. He was the uh, coach in the NFL for a short time of Jacksonville, and uh, he had kind of a moral failure, a moral falling. He, there was some video that circulated of him in a bar. And, but they were asking in this ESPN documentary, they were interviewing this legend in collegiate in, in football. And he said, listen to what he said. He said it was never enough. He said it was never enough. And listen to what he said. He said, if we beat our opponent by one touchdown, he said immediately, I thought, why couldn't it have been two? If we beat our opponent by two touchdowns, then my thought was, why wasn't it three And I thought to myself, how sad a life. I was bothered this week. I saw Nick Saban. Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama Crimson Tide, the individual that will go down in history as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Nick Saban was remarking about Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M and basically made this statement, well, he pretty much bought the recruiting glass. 
And I thought to myself, when is enough? Listen to me, it is never enough. One of the things that Satan can do in your life and my life, and he can cause us to spend every bit of our life, every ounce of our energy, trying to accumulate more and more. And my friend, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You know, that's an awakening. Here's Sheila and I, we've kind of had that awakening. You can't take it with you. After, after having a stint and after having a little heart problem, I thought, well, wait a minute. The last thing I want is Ledge and Jeffrey buying new Z71s after I'm dead and gone. I need to spend some of this stuff right now. Now, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot. But you know, there's, there's, that's an awakening. You know, the reality is right now, you may, what little you have right now, you can invest it in God's kingdom. You can go down to a gas station. You can be in Walmart. You can be somewhere. You can bless other people's lives. You can begin to take what God's given you and pour it out into the life of other people. Just doing that, my friend, listen, you'll become a channel of blessing. He finds that he's not, he's not getting it to you. He's getting it through you. And boy, it's a great feeling. I mean, you get to the point somebody gives you $100, you go, oh, what am I, I going to do with this? Who I got to get this to? And you start trying to give a portion of it away to other people who are hurting in need. But Zacchaeus didn't know that. It's never enough. Listen to what the standard, I was listening, look at this. The standard reports, it said many of the famous and successful celebrities have committed suicide. Have you noticed that? Now listen to what, listen to what this publication went on to say. And it seems the trend is set to continue. Now let me read that again. Many of the famous and successful celebrities of our day have committed suicide, and it seems the trend is set to continue. Suicide is on the rise. In 2014, comedian Robin Williams, who had suffered from, and I said this, Robin Williams was the greatest comedian I've ever known in my life, ever seen in my life. The first time I saw him on the Johnny Carson show, I thought to myself, some of you are going, who's Johnny Carson? The first time I saw, listen, Johnny Carson couldn't keep his composure. Robin Williams took over the show, took over the other guests, took over the studio, took over everything. He just ad-libbed just constantly. He was an unbelievable, brilliant mind. Boy, in Miss Doubtfire, when he plays that woman, he plays, you remember, Mrs. Doubtfire, this old woman? And in that show, he becomes the caretaker of his own children, disguises himself so well that his wife, who's seeking divorce, doesn't know it. But do you remember when he's, in his, when he's in his normal gear as a man, he goes to apply for a job, he goes to apply at the unemployment office, and there's this literal elderly woman sitting there, and she's typing away, and he's, and he's trying to make jokes. You remember, she asks him a question, he comes back with a joke, she keeps looking over at him, trying to type, and finally she stops and she looks at him, and she says, can I ask you a question? Do you think you're funny? Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire gave us a glimpse into his soul. He said to her, 
and it was no acting because I recognize it. He said, I used to think I was funny, but not anymore. Marilyn Monroe was a breathtakingly beautiful woman whose death most likely was due to suicide by a drug overdose. Her career had taken a nosedive. It led to her divorce, and it was fueling mental and physical health problems such as bipolar disorder, depression, and endometriosis. She was suffering. Whitney Houston, the night before the 2012 Grammy Awards, music's biggest night was found face down in a bathtub with traces of cocaine, marijuana, and Xanax and other medications that were in her system. Her daughter died exactly the same way. Prince died. Michael Jackson battled with drug addiction for 15 years. The standard went on to make, make this statement. In all these cases, there is a disturbingly similar trend. In most instances, the celebrities led lonely, depressed, drug-fueled lives, which they kept hidden behind a facade of fake smiles and glamorous lives that my friend, when I read that, was Zacchaeus. Let me tell you something. Your identity, this is a principle. Your identity is not or should not be weighed by how much you have. Where you live. What you drive. What you wear. What schools your kids attend. What stuff you have. Because listen, because all of that will come to an end. It doesn't matter. Marilyn Monroe found that out. Prince found that out. Michael Jackson found that out. I remember my dear friend Brent Leach. Brent Leach was a left-handed closer who came out of Brandon who played for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Always love Brent, always to this day. I love this big old six foot five, good looking guy. I used to think, well, if I remade myself, or maybe when I get to heaven, I'll be six five. Brent Leach. Brent Leach, an unbelievable left handed closer for the Dodgers, was playing Kansas City, Kansas City Royals. They brought him in to close out the game, and Brent Leach had a bad game, if I remember. Brent Leach said, he said, and I remember this, he went through a time of just struggling to get his bearings. Brent Leach said, I learned that I had been cut from the Dodgers the next morning watching ESPN they were showing that game, showing me trying to close it out, and showing Kansas City beating the Dodgers. He said, I learned my career was over with, alone in a hotel room watching TV. His whole life. His whole life. All of a sudden, all those things from, from T-ball all the way up came crashing down all around him. And do you know what? 
I want everybody to listen. He remembered one dime in, Bass, in Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's Sporting Goods. He was standing in Dick's Sporting Goods. He, I walked in. I said, well, Brent, how are you doing? How are things going? He said, fine. And when he was playing ball, when he was a big, doing well, I said, Brent, I, I, and I, I put my hand on his shoulder, shook his hand. I said, Brent, if I didn't know better, I'd say God called you to ministry. He's now on staff at First Baptist Brandon. I had a man this past week, a grandfather, good-looking grandson. Alicia, I'll be honest with you, made me think immediately of Ethan. He's just unusually tall, just stately-looking. And uh, this grandfather, he said, pray for my grandson. And I said, are you sure he's not running from God? Let me tell you, the best place to be is in the center of God's will. All that stuff doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. Jesus said to the rich fool, have you ever noticed that? The rich fool said to himself, can't you see Jesus telling that story? He said, the rich fool said to himself, you know what I thought? Oh man, the crop is bigger and better than ever. Now, it never occurred to him to give any of it away. It never occurred to him to give it to the poor. No, he thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Barns are not big enough. I'm going to tear down those barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to say to my, in the King James, I'm going to say to my soul, Soul! You did good. Now eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, in the throne room of the Father, the creator of the universe. God looked at that man with all that wealth and he said, Thou fool! Even tonight, thy soul will be required of you. And what can you give in exchange for it? When I was hungry, you fed me. Naked, you clothed me. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Lord, when were you hungry, thirsty, and naked? When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. God's not looking for you to be the Dead Sea where everything flows in and nothing comes out. God is looking for channels of blessing. He's not looking for reservoirs. He's looking for rivers. And this man didn't know it. Zacchaeus didn't know it. It led to a narcissistic life. Narcissism. A person who has an excessive interest in or an admiration of themselves. You see, that's what money, material things do. Before long, your world just revolves around yourself and nobody else. I was telling him on a Wednesday night years and years ago. This was probably, I don't know, Sheila, if we were even married yet. But it was about the same time, so it's been a long time. But anyway, my brother-in-law, Glenn, we were at a wedding, and it was a family member. And, 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 our, and, and this person, one of our relatives, she's just beautiful. I mean, she looks like a model. She's just beautiful. And she's marrying, she's marrying a bodybuilder. I mean, this guy, I guess he thought he was beautiful too. But this is no joke. Everybody listen. While this breathtakingly beautiful bride is coming down the aisle, we got to laughing because this is the groom. He was standing down. You know the way grooms are. They're down here like this. This no joke. 
He's standing down. His bride's coming down. Everybody's standing to attention. Every eye, including the preacher, every eye is looking at the bride. She's breathtakingly beautiful. Looks like a model coming down. You know what the groom's doing? I'm not joking. We got to laughing about it. He was so narcissistic, so consumed with himself. And guess what? Years later, you want to guess what happened to that marriage? Anybody want to guess? Ended up in divorce. You see, that's what the enemy, that's why Jesus said, be careful about your enemy because what the enemy will do, he'll consume you with stuff and material things and you never get enough. Let me give you another example. Take a left and look at Luke 16. In Luke chapter 16, look at Luke 16 verse 19. Because it, get, because it can get worse. What can money, what can success do? What did it do to Zacchaeus? It robbed him of relationships. He was so busy making money. Hey, let me tell you, some of you are doing real well making money. You're doing real well putting it away. But you are trampling on every relationship that's dear to you in the process. And you're hoarding it and hanging on to it. And my friend, listen to me. What's going to happen is one day you're going to die and you're going to leave it to people that don't give a dime's worth of difference and all the sacrifice you made to get it. They don't care. They will frivolously throw it away. So let me give you some good counsel here. Become a kingdom thinker. You know what Jesus said about the rich fool? You know what he said? He said he was rich on this earth and he was poor up there. What did the Bible tell us? What did Jesus say? He said, store up in heaven treasures that rust and thief and nobody can take it away. When you see a homeless man and you stop and put attention and time and you figure out his story. I crawled up under a bridge one time to a, to a place under that bridge that looked immaculate. And I'll never forget it. It was just I felt like I was in a dental office. Magazines perfect, bed made, everything just meticulously laid out. This African-American man sat there and he crossed his legs and looked at me just like he was a professional. And I looked at him and I, and I said, tell me your story. His story, he was the second graduate from Ole Miss as a CPA. His wife ran off with another man and took his boy, took his son. And he said, I tried to get back on my feet again, and I couldn't. And he said, I lost everything. In fact, Therese, um, 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 what's my, Bert Case. Bert Case did a story on some of these people. He said, I tried to go to Atlanta and get my life back and get it going again. He said, I was hurt too deep. I just couldn't do it. In other words, what he said, no amount of money, no amount of position, no amount of education made any difference whatsoever. In Luke 16, verse 19 through 31, this is what Jesus is saying. This was Zacchaeus' problem. This can be your problem, my problem. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores of Lazarus. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. 
The rich man also died. He was buried. Look at this. Verse 23. In hell. Where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And everybody looked this way. He cried out for mercy. Let me tell you what money education, job, if that becomes the center of your life, if, if that's what you live for, you, my friend, will be in no better shape than Zacchaeus, no better shape than the rich young ruler, and no better shape than this. It will make your life narcissistic, self-centered, and it will blind you to humanity. I told you last week, I am sick and tired of politicians, poor politicians becoming multimillionaires in this country who have made a living on a political political career and that's what it is I'll close in a moment but the reality is is that people's wealth your wealth your stuff your pursuit to get it can blind you to your own soul and blind you to the heartache and the suffering of other people. You become so narcissistic, so called up in your life and, and that you can't see beyond that. That was the rich man. You know what the rich man did? The Bible said he, held, he had part. You know when it says fared sumptuously, dressed in purple? That was his underwear. His underwear was even... Calvin Klein. He wore the best. Even the stuff people couldn't see. And here he was having a party. And listen, rich people, they didn't have napkins. They wiped their hands on bread. They, they, had, they made bread and used it to absorb the, the filth from their hands while they were eating a meal. And then he threw the bread off to Lazarus, who the only mercy he was getting was from his dog or the dogs, who were also there to get the bread. Rich man was blind by his life, his success, his money, he didn't see. I remember one time, Sheila and I, didn't happen many times, we, uh, we were asked to counsel multimillionaires. If I told you the company they own, you'd know it immediately. Multi-millionaires. And I'll never forget, we met this couple to eat. Now, we didn't have anything. I mean, we, we ain't made a lot. So we just who we are. So we went, and, and I'm one of these people, you know, when it comes to the ticket and you're sitting there, it's awkward to me. So it's just easier to say, well, I'll go, just, you know, how much is it? You know, um, so we're sitting there with this couple, and they, they've got major problems and, and, and so when it came to the ticket, multi-millionaires, the, no joke, his yacht, the captain of his yacht, Leah, makes more than my salary. The captain of his yacht. So when it came time, it, there's that awkward moment, and I took the receipt, I mean, took the ticket, and we paid the bill and left the tip. And it still ended up in divorce anyway. You know, the reality is, is that if you and I are not careful, the things of this world can blind us, and that's what happened to Zacchaeus. And wow, I can't get through this sermon yet. And it's time to go. I tell people sometimes what, what church is like here. 
They say, well, how was church? Well, there were people at the cross. And uh, we got a cross over there, and people go over there, and they just pray. Some of them cry. There are people that during the worship, like Russell, they just come down and they kneel at the altar and pray. There are children like Caroline that instinctively just grab grandma's hand or mom's hand and they just naturally go there. There are people that come down to the altar. There are people that come for prayer. There are people who never, they don't get down here. They stop right here and, and hang out with the pastor's wife and cry on her shoulder and pray. There are some people that just grab somebody else. I look at them and say, seldom is there not tears, brokenness, hurting. Do you know what people tell me even this week? That doesn't happen much anymore. Look at our building. <laughs> I mean, it, it eventually is going to, you know, you think that the, the sheetrock's going to fall. We, we, we fix these leaks, they come back. We've got paint hanging down over there behind the cross in some kind of grotesque form that almost looks like an ugly finger coming down out of heaven, but it's pointing to the wrinkled finger pointing to the cross. Uh, we just, there's just not a lot of pomp and splendor. I mean, I think to myself, how much longer are the VBS banners going to hang up there? <laughs> I mean, I look around here and I think and I see our services and I see the people who make up our lives and our Wednesday nights are just unbelievable. They're the fun ones. And it just seems like we have every bit as big a crowd as we do on Sundays. When we sent our kids off to summer camp, there was a drug deal going down on the other side of the street. When Pine Lake one time had a man let a weapon go off in their service, we laughed and said, hey, we'll send some of our people over in South Jackson to show you people how to operate your weaponry. We're, we're just real and raw. We're just who we are. Black, white, young, old, sick, well, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. If there's a rich person there, I need to know, though. <laughs> Have you ever thought that's what God loves. It's not about our fancy services. It's not what service you attend. It's not your parking spot. It's not uh, all the gizmos and gadgets. It's not the fancy coffee facility out in the foyer. It's not, we don't, we don't have a lot of that stuff. But we got Jesus. Amen. And he shows up every Sunday. I'm not saying he doesn't in these other places. I'm just saying that a lot of times you just can't see him for all the other fluff and stuff going on. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, and Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful account, historically accurate geographically the road that Jesus and his disciples were on, the city that he was coming into, the Roman system of taxation, the buying of that position by Zacchaeus, 
the historical, the geographical accuracy of Luke is a reminder that this is not folklore, it is not made up, it is a true life experience out of the life of Christ. And Lord, we understand Zacchaeus because we can find ourselves there too. If we're not careful, we get caught up in our own future, our own pursuit, our own aspirations. We begin to think only about money, paying off this bill, that bill, buying this car, buying that home, living here, living there. We begin to think about what we're going to wear, what clothing, buying this new outfit. And before long, our life is consumed with the things of this temporal existence that passes so quickly. May we realize that it is in Jesus, that it is in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, that we find fulfillment, contentment, purpose. Our money, our car, our homes, our, the things that you've given us are now seen as stewardship, our children's stewardship as things that we're not on Facebook bragging about their accomplishments. As Amy said, Dad, if I see one more trophy, we're the best in the world. She said, I'm going to throw up. Because the reality is, as children having a trophy, hey, that's all right. But it's far more important, the spiritual dynamic dimensions, the education of our children that they grow to be great men and women of God. Lord, may we realize that we may not have a lot. But let me end this prayer with this. Look this way. The most powerful figure in my life, and I've known some greats, the most powerful figure in my life was my grandmother. My grandmother, you've heard me say, her hands were completely twisted like this. Her elbows would not straighten up. Her fingers would not straighten up. She was bent over because she couldn't straighten up her back. She walked with a shuffle. Her name was Lillian Parker. She was the most powerful figure. When I was struggling, even at times when my mom was struggling with all of her psychiatric issues and problems, I would go to my grandmother. She made 200, I think $243. I think that's what she got. She lived in a single white trailer. She had a vinyl couch. She had nothing. She often, when I would come, would make a meal of hot dogs. And she would take a hot dog because that was the only meat she had. And she would make what she called a corn dog. She would take cornbread, pour some of the cornbread over it. It would go over the hot dog. She'd have stuck some kind of stick in it. And when she came up, it looked like a giant corn dog popsicle. Her tea was like no tea. Her sweet tea was like nobody could make. The old kind that was loose, and you boiled it, and it filled the house up with a smell, that little trailer, and then she would strain it in that strainer, and it just literally. She, on that little vinyl couch with nothing, gave more to me as a young kid growing up 
than any figure on this earth. That's what God's called you to do. It doesn't matter where you live, what you drive. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter how much money. It's the fact that God make me a good steward of this. Let me be a good steward of what you've given me. Let me be the person that's not blind to humanity. Let me see humanity. And let me do everything I can to help. And wow, what heaven will be like when you get there. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.